Welcome back to Basic Brain Heart, the show where we celebrate and interrogate creatives of all stripes. I'm Hannah Camacho. Hopefully, this podcast will offer you a little bit of a welcome distraction from the craziness of 2020. I don't know about you, but I just I just can't keep up. I have a little question for you. What do the shows Killing Eve, available on Hulu, uh, Run, available on HBO, and Fleabag, available on Amazon Prime, all have in common? Well, you could say one of the things they have in common is story ninja we'll call her that jenny robbins oh my goodness you guys i was so thrilled when she agreed to connect today to not only share her story but a little bit about her creative philosophy because what a legend she was funny she was fun she was so approachable and just a brilliant human um i cannot wait for you to hear all the good stuff so so i'm not going to spoil it for you but in a moment of personal reflection i have to say after this conversation with jenny which i found very timely personally um i was just so comforted by the fact that it's okay if your creative path has a very non-linear trend to it and um as long as you're exploring and figuring out what you love to do and you keep coming back to that and honing your craft, that's okay. And I just felt like Jenny sort of gave me permission to breathe a sigh of relief around that. And um, that was something that I personally really needed in my life right now. And so I'm so, so grateful. Um, All right, well, you're not here to hear me talk. So I'm gonna go ahead and get out of the way. And I hope you enjoy this conversation with story sage and all around awesome human being, Jenny Robbins. Enjoy the show. Jenny, good. Well, I guess it's afternoon for you. It is. It's Friday (laughs) afternoon. (laughs) Are you ready for an epic weekend? (laughs) I'm ready for a weekend. Oh, (laughs) snap. I don't think I'm epic, but just weekend will do. (laughs) Well, I'm glad we're kicking the weekend off together. It's perfect. Thank you so much for taking some time to connect. I cannot wait to hear all of your amazing thoughts. Well, (laughs) I hope you think that at the end. (laughs) Oh, I know. That'll be the case for sure. Um, before we jump into the interview, though, for folks who might not be familiar with you or your work, um, would you mind talking just a little bit about what you do these days before we get, jump into your backstory? So, uh, yeah, so right now, um, I am head of TV and film at Well Street Films, which is the production company that uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge set up this year. So um, I came in at the beginning of that with her, which has been really, really exciting, although it's obviously been a really weird year to have started it, but Ooh. in some ways been perfect because we've not been in production on anything so that's that's been good um and we've just been setting up setting ourselves up and um talking about ideas and developing new stuff so that's been that's been really good fun so that's where I am at the moment and then previously to that I've been I've been working with Phoebe for the last three years so I've been um it's been a a really lovely and lucky partnership for me. <laughs> been on the roller coaster ride. That is so awesome, and a, the, a roller coaster in the best of ways, of course. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe mainly ups. <laughs> but I'm, yeah. I'm mostly ups. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> sure, there were a few moments of like three in the morning before we were filming things, where there was the odd moment of a uh, the odd moment of what? But uh, yeah, mainly been ups. <laughs> that is fantastic. Um, one thing I've been I've been uh, trialing recently that I really like. I used to just jump right into backstory and and learn people's stories and then 
and go straight into some philosophy questions. But I've started asking some just for fun questions and have learned that that's actually been even more um, fruitful than before. So if you don't mind, we'll jump into some of those. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Uh, the first one's a little odd, but I hope you'll humor me. Um, if you could see a measuring scale above people's heads, uh, what would you want that skill to measure? Like their status in society, their level of happiness, their wealth, anything in particular that you just are finding yourself always thinking about when you sort of view new people and how they move through the world? I mean... Happiness would be hysterical because you'd then get so stressed about how happy you were, you'd never be happy. So that would be just a, an appalling thing to put on anyone. Can you it's imagine? Ooh, that life was a, you're not happy enough. Oh God, I'm trying, I'm trying. Um, but I think, I think it would probably be a sense of humor because if you spot that a mile away, that would save you a lot of time if you saw straight away people that you were going to be able to have fun with and have a laugh with. So yeah, I think I think, and also, what a happy world we'd be if that's what you were striving for to be to be as full of a sense of humor as possible. I mean, that would be that would be a good place to live. So I think it would be that. Yeah, meeting someone else who has is on the same wavelength as you in humor is just the best. Mm, absolutely. Is that something that? And just a side note there. Have you found that it's easy to find your tribe of of humorists or has it taken some time to kind of develop that group is it, is it rarer than you'd think or do you think it's easy i think among the writers i've worked with they've they've often been you know very funny very funny people even if i've not been working on comedies but i do remember the first time i actually worked on a sort of straight out comedy having done some mainly just dark drama and having so much fun with these two writers because we just laughed every day and actually I started to think can this be right you know can this this is gonna it can it be right to just laugh about everything you're doing but also thinking why am I not doing more of this because this is just great why would you not spend your day sort of thinking of funny scenarios rather than thinking of dark and depressing ones but that that said I love working on on dramas too and, and you know writers I think do tend to have good senses of humor but um so I haven't found it too hard to find them and and you, as long as you find a couple, then you can laugh about the people who don't have a sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good strategy right there. I dig it. Um, my next question is, what is something that you think you do differently than other people? And it could be anything. It could be you drink your, you know, tea uh, with oh. your left hand rather than your right. Don't, don't get me on tea. I mean, I, everything about tea I do differently to other people. So I think I'm... Um, I think I'm on my way to turning into one of those really eccentric, probably mainly British eccentric women, because I definitely my tea has to be in a china cup. It has to be made with boiling water. I don't really let anyone else make it for me. So that I think I'm quite um, I've got quite a lot of weird rules and regulations. I don't like cold water. I like my water to be room temperature. I mean, I'm, I'm literally I try and keep these wow. to myself. <laughs> so Most people don't know. My family know that I'm weird, but, you know, they, they're stuck with me. So um, uh so I yeah I think I think quite a few things but and also I've got I have got a lot of energy I've, and I think that comes from my dad I come I, my dad was literally a man who cannot sit still ever never sits down and I I've, I've got that too so I'm I'm always on the move and sometimes I complain and say I've literally not sat down today at all and then everyone's looking at me like well you could have done why why did you not so I think I mean, it's hard to know how you're different to other people because I don't know everybody else in the uh, I don't know everybody else in the world. But I suppose that's something that people comment on to me is that I have a sort of a large amount of energy and a capability to get 
quite a lot done in a day, um, even if I'm quite grumpy about it at the end. But I do think on the whole, I'm not. I wake up with a lot of energy. It's very annoying. Mm -hmm. I wake up feeling, you know, just occasionally I haven't woken up with a lot of energy. And I've suddenly sort of looked at my husband and gone, oh, my God, is this what you feel like every day? Because <laughs> normally I wake up feeling like I've already sort of thought about things for an hour before everyone else is awake. So I drive people mad by talking at them for the first hour when they're all coming to. And I'm like, well, I thought in the night that we should do this, 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 this. I even did that this morning, actually. I, I was texting Phoebe going, in the night, I thought. And uh, so so that's, that's probably quite an irritating thing, actually, on the whole. But Oh, man. <laughs> I, I love thoughtful. it, though. Do you are you do you need like a lot of sleep or do you, do you just need a little window and you're good? A, a little window. I mean, I would like more, but I'm just I've never been a big hmm. sleeper, um, you know, five, six nice. hours. It's okay. Well, when you discover your secret, maybe it's the way you drink your tea. Maybe that's it. <laughs> maybe it's down to that. I do just think it is a strange, I think it's literally my dad. I think that's that's all it is. I think it's a weird metabolism thing of not being able to. Genetic. Yeah, but luckily he's now in his 80s and still going. So, I mean, it's not like, I because I, obviously if he just killed over when he was 60, I'd be a bit concerned by now. But uh, he's still he's still going strong, running around everywhere. Yeah. Oh, snap. Hey, that's awesome. I love it. I love it. Um, I'm one of those people definitely who needs a, a, at least eight hours. And if I don't, I'm a grump. But so that's cool. I dig it. What are you afraid of? Spiders. No question. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm so frightened of them. I don't even want to get over the fear. You know, people have said to me, you can go on courses at London Zoo. and, and But I don't want to get over my fear of spiders. I'm terrified of them. Small, big, anything. And it's so pathetic because in this country, anyway, they are completely harmless. <laughs> they do nothing. But I'm still... I've run away from the top of a tomato before thinking it was a spider and literally been hiding in the corner of a room and then eventually realised <laughs> it was the top of a tomato. So, oh, yeah. that is fantastic. I think it's because they don't have a face. I think if they had a face, you know, something that you could, a discernible set of eyes that you could look them in the eye and spot something and turn them into a a character, but you can't. They're just a, a blob that goes in any direction. That is very far. a very good point. Though I, I am very unsettled by jumping spiders with their huge, huge eyes. And I don't know how I feel about those either. Whew, that's a good point, though. I don't want to hear about them. <laughs> Don't bring those into my life. They do these little dances and they have these huge eyes and woo, woo. It gets me every time. <laughs> oh dear. All right. Well, on to to uh, to less uh, terrifying things. Um, if you had to identify, I find this one always interesting to hear what people say. If you had to identify three descriptive words or feelings that you want everyone to feel when they interact with you, what do you think those three words would be? That I want them to feel. Um, well, I'd like. Uh, I'd like them to feel safe in a safe pair of hands. It's safe in both ways, actually. Safe that they could say whatever they want, and we, we, you know, it's we're going to laugh about it and have fun. But also safe that I hopefully give the impression of um, <laughs> looking like I might know what I'm doing. Um, but also, I'd, I'd like them to feel like they that, that I'm interested in them. So I guess I'd like them to feel fascinating because, I mean, I am genuinely interested in people and curious about people or, or nosy about people. It's a fine line. But, I, I, yeah, I'd like them to feel that that that, that I'm interested in them and, we're, and that, again, that they can we're going to have fun, that that's, it's going to be, a, you know, a fun place to hang out. I mean, that's probably not what they feel. They probably feel that I'm embarrassed and shy and... Uh, 
I think probably everyone thinks I'm organized. I think actually that might be a weird one that I've managed to con people with over the years because I'm not sure that I am. But I think most people would say that I, I come across as quite organized. Um, <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> terrible lie. <laughs> no, I, I am reasonably organized, but I'm really untidy and I, they never seem to go together. And I have sort of blown people's minds a bit when they've discovered how very untidy I am. And they're like, oh, that's not who I thought you were. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, though. You're I, the organized tidy person. <laughs> as someone who has... Um, ADD now I've never officially been diagnosed with it I absolutely have it um and has yet done like uh I've produced apps and things like that I I had to force myself to get organized in certain ways I let yeah. other ways sort of go to the wayside yeah. that makes perfect sense to me <laughs> oh okay so I think that's what I do because my work is really organized and I always do you know I've I, I've got a good memory for things and I write things down and and I don't think I have ever sort of come a cropper on on that but my home life it's not at all organized and you know, it's just and my you know my bedroom looks like a small you know tornado has just gone through it with things flying out of drawers in all directions but um but yeah maybe that's it so maybe you can't have it on everything you have to like pick an area of your life you can be organized in that's fine I'll go with that <laughs> you always just want people to be able to feel like like you are interested in them and that they can say whatever they want and you're gonna have fun talking about things you know and I love, like, immediately when you were telling me some of your story at the beginning, I mean, my instinct was that I wanted to talk to you about your story rather than talk about mine, because it sounds much more interesting. <laughs> if you could spend a year without creating story at all, no writing, nothing, um, but you wanted to make the best of it, what would you do during that year if the sky was the limit? Well, I mean, I guess right now, because I've got kids who, um, you know, I, I see a lot of, but I don't see as much of probably when, when I'm in the you know, the throes of production, I would spend, uh, I spend a year with them and I travel. I mean, I've, I've never, I've never, I've done a bit of traveling, but not nearly as much as I'd like to. So I'd, I'd, uh, and if, does the sky the limit, does that mean budget? Yeah. <laughs> well then, yeah, cause, uh, cause I am not brave. So I would not be doing the, uh, you know, the jumping off a mountain or, or going in a hot air balloon, but I would like to, so I'd like to do some really high, high luxury travel and go to Japan and Russia and and maybe that feels even more tempting now just when we all know we can't go anywhere um but yeah I'd like so I'd take the kids um and my husband and go off and do a and do a, a very a luxurious trip around the world I think would be what I do and I think I could I, I could manage that <laughs> that would be amazing that does sound amazing I agree well everyone would benefit then the children would love it you know everyone would get something out of that so uh, I you know guilt-free year yeah totally it's fine. I feel like I only just, I mean, I only started traveling with work really in the last two or three years and was really enjoying it and, you know, coming to the States a lot. And, and now suddenly it's like, really, am I now just never going to leave? <laughs> am I never going to leave London again? Is this, is this the new normal? Oh, I we're going to be stuck. Where have you gone in the States? I'm guessing uh, the West Coast a little bit, probably LA, yeah. New York, maybe. So yeah, mainly with work, it's been LA and uh, New York. Um, but I've done a bit of traveling around America before when it was just but uh, yeah, but it's been great just just going there. Oh, and I'm and and Canada. I mean, I spent Ooh. seven weeks here as well. Oh, so uh, magical. Yeah, so that was fun. Uh, quite cold, actually. Yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> we live right up close to the border of Canada, so uh, they're really? wonderful neighbors. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, wow, the weather is quite you know quite. No. Yeah, when it when it gets cold, it really gets cold. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. All right, I'm actually very excited about this next question because um, I am fascinated already by your tea um, ritual. So <laughs> tell me about your favorite hot, or it sounds like perhaps room temperature beverage. 
Uh, well, the tea is definitely going to be boiling. So that's okay, just that. Okay. But actually, my favorite hot drink, I think it's actually a hot chocolate. Ooh, yes. I, so I kind of start with a few teas, but I like a hot chocolate, but before 11, because obviously you can't have hot chocolate after 11. That would just be ridiculous. I mean, <laughs> do you yeah, have we- like, is it, is it the powdered kind? Is it the fancy kind? What, what's your favorite? What's your jam? Somebody gave my son, a, a godfather gave my son for uh, a present as we went into lockdown, this amazing thing called a velvetizer. And it's, um, do you have Hotel Chocolat out there? I don't know. You we know, have we may. I, I'm not familiar that, with it. Well, it's a, it's a brand. I suddenly, it's out here. And basically, you, it's a little special little pot that makes a very good hot chocolate. And you pour in actual chocolate. <laughs> so it's, just like, it's like eating a chocolate bar. Oh, I my. In my standards, it's a bit much. Um, but normally, I would, I, I would just go for the powdered sort in oh, London. Oh, that yeah. sounds heavenly. I'm going to have to check it out. I don't drink coffee, easy. So there's always that thing that you go out and meet people for a coffee, but I don't drink coffee. So hot chocolate became my um became my substitute. Mm, that's fantastic. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah. And what about your favorite cold drink? Gin and tonic. Ha ha ha. <laughs> hot okay. chocolate in the morning, gin and tonic yeah. in the evening. That would be my uh. That would be that would be a good day that started and ended like that. Yeah, and and not an abnormal day. I'd like to say. <laughs> That sounds absolutely heavenly. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to have a a, a Jenny themed day and do that myself. Yeah, yeah, and it is Friday, so I'm already thinking tonight that there will be a, a small gin and tonic. <laughs> That's fabulous. <laughs> oh snap! What are you binging lately, Jenny? Um, I've been uh, absolutely loving uh, "I May Destroy You," um, which I think you've got over there on HBO. We've got it on um, on BBC here. Ooh, but I'm gonna um, have to check that out. I'm gonna take a note here. I've- my god my god my god you're gonna it's it's extraordinary it's um it's it's just a, an amazing piece of storytelling and it it feels almost like you're watching real life rather than watching a it's not it's not a relaxing watch i'll tell you now <laughs> it's, not, it's not one you watch you know in a sort of like i'm gonna watch something really easy it's 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 dark subject matter but it's just told it's told brilliantly. um amazing uh Michaela Cole, the, the actress, writer, and director of it, and she's just she's just extraordinary. Anyway, so I've been lo- I've been really loving that. And then prior to that, I was um, fully engrossed, like a lot of this 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 country was, I think, in Normal People, um, which was you know the book that was adapted. And I loved that book, so I was I was a little bit nervous, as you always are when you've loved a book and you see that it's going to be turned into a TV show. But actually. I mean, it's just, I think I may have even loved the, the show. In fact, I think I did love it more than the book. And the and the casting was just, you know, when your mind just comes to life, you're like, yeah, who I pictured in those roles. So, um, so those have, those have been my, um, my lockdown, my lockdown watching. I love it. Those are two, Watch- two shows I'm going to have to check out. Yeah, check out both of those. You'll love them. And I've just started watching The Great as well, which has been really good. <gasps> yes. Yeah, which is a, so it's good to have a bit of everything, <laughs> a, bit, a bit of laughs and a and a bit of bit of hardcore drama and yeah, so it's been a, a good mixture. But I have um because something about lockdown means I've been well spending a lot of more time with my children, I suppose, and we all weirdly have started going to bed at the same time. So there's been an awful lot of family viewing going on, and then we get, get to the point where they're finally in bed. You're like, oh my god, I'm not sure I've got anything left in me now. So uh, I, mean, I keep on hearing about all these people who've like binged every film ever during lockdown, and I'm I'm feeling a bit I'm bit left out on that one <laughs> they're just they're just moving through it all that's I know. true well, it, 
I think you've either been very busy in lockdown if you've got kids and trying to work as well and doing homeschool or you've obviously not been very busy if you've not if you've not you know if you're older and you're on your own and there's been lots of book reading and and film watching and I think I've been mainly fitting into the first one (laughs) feeling they're not quite hours in the day (laughs) (laughs) yes keeping it real real, love it um, my final fun question here is what do you think is the very first thing you notice about someone when you meet somebody new? Oh, I mean, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard not to sound superficial on this. <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't Say, want like their smile or yeah. Okay. Well, I was going even worse than that. I was going closed. <laughs> I love it. It's seriously superficial. I do understand. But on the other hand, I do think what you choose to wear and your clothes, your style does say something about your personality that, uh, you know, if you're literally the first time you meet someone before you found out that they've got a great sense of humor because you haven't got that gauge over their head, when that's invented, I'll be fine, I'll go on that. But until you've got that, you are just looking at what people, how they're sort of presenting themselves. So I guess I don't, I hope I don't judge people on that, no, but I just it, notice it. To, you know, just understand people a bit more until you actually talk to them I think but that um, if that makes it superficial so be it but I do like clothes I do I'm, I'm you know I'm so I'm, I'm, I look at it mainly from a point of view like oh that's interesting I wonder yeah totally <laughs> I like that. no that makes a lot of sense it's like your personal brand you know that's that's exactly, exactly. very interesting I love it the evolution of you is the uh, next little pod of questions we have here. And I'm excited to um, learn about this. Would you mind t- talking a little bit about your childhood, maybe where you grew up, what sorts of things you were interested yeah. in as a kid, and then even up to, you know, did you go to university? And what, what did you decide to study? Anything that you want to share would be awesome. Well, I, I grew up in, um, well, the Midlands, north of England, a place called Derby. It's a sort of uh, industrial city in, well, it's in the area is called the Midlands. Most people, if you're in the south, people say it's in the north. If you're in the north, they say in the south. So we're right, right in the middle. <laughs> right in the middle. And um, I was always crazy. I was crazy about music and I was a singer and I trained classically as a as a singer. Actually, I, I went oh, to wow. London lessons um and I loved that and I wanted to be an actor I thought that an actress I thought I was where I was going to go but I also loved English literature and reading books and and that and I but I I, all I say all this but I got to the end of my school school like you know high school age and I didn't have a clue what I was going to do I all my not helped by lots of my friends going off to be doctors so they were all absolutely knew exactly what they were doing they went off to university I hadn't got a place at university at the time I hadn't applied I didn't I just didn't know what I was going to do so I um I did know I wanted to get out of Derby and go to London however that was the one thing I knew so I I went to London and I got a job working at a big um a big theatre well a big concert hall called the Royal Albert Hall and um which was lovely and I kept my singing lessons up and I then applied for university to do English literature and language thinking that I'd maybe well, my actually, that was pretty much my father. Actually, I have to say, he was saying, just do it, do a degree, <laughs> and then you can, then you can mess around afterwards. Just get a degree, and and his provisor was you had to get a degree in a subject he'd heard of. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like go off and do you know media or TV or something like that. It had to be a subject that it, it, what he would call a proper subject. So I went and did English literature and language there, and I kept my singing lessons up at the Royal Academy of Music and. And I had a great time and I loved it. I mean, I just saw it. I didn't know where I was going. I had no idea about television. I had none of this was in my mind at all. I just wanted to read books for a few years, to be honest. And then I got out and I went to drama school for a year 
um, which I, I'd, I'd sort of gone off the acting thing by the time I'd finished university, but there was a degree of pride that I'd said I was going to do it. And I thought, well, I won't get in because no one gets in anyway to drama school. So I'll, I'll do it. So I think probably because I turned up feeling quite relaxed about it, I, of course, then did get in. But just to do one year, it was like a one year course. And I have to say, I, I oh, did not enjoy it at all. I did not enjoy the performative side. I felt I just felt embarrassed the whole time it was great for my shyness because I was very shy when I went into that and it was it, I was not so shy when I came out and I met some amazing people who, who stayed friends to this day because you know once you rolled around the floor pretending to be a cat or whatever you know <laughs> you tend to stick with those people if, if you are wanted yeah and you just you know basically you just want them never to share the story with anyone else so you have to stick with them so, you have, to, you have to stay in with them so they never reveal your the true dark secrets and then so I left that again still not knowing what to do now watching all my friends from university have great you know blossoming careers and I'm still thinking oh god what do I do so I I did some acting and I uh, and a lot of temping a lot more temping as a secretary than I did acting um and and I kept on thinking having this niggle but this is like two years worth of like doing panto pantomimes which is you know these sort of Christmas Christmas plays we we love here and touring the country and in sort of musicals and um and then I suddenly thought what am I doing I have a degree I you know I don't have to be doing this I could be doing something else and I look, got the paper that day saw an advert for a secretary in BBC uh, drama and thought okay I'll go for that and so I went up to the secretarial job met a wonderful woman um called Ros Borland who said to me in an interview all I want is for you to stay for a year. I know you're going to want to do something else after that. And I thought, I don't know what you mean because I don't know what I want to do. Okay, <laughs> actually, life. Um, and and then I was suddenly thrown into this world, BBC and drama, and she was amazing. And okay, so I had no idea what any of the jobs were in in drama. I was working in a very particular area where they were looking for co-production money, or actually, I, I think in those days they they had the drama and then they were selling it to other, you know. Uh, um channels and organizations in Europe and America so that it was it was a slight offshoot from drama and one of the things was that the person trying to get the money my boss had to have a sort of synopsis of the dramas she was trying to sell and one day she'd asked for a synopsis of this particular thing and she said speak to the script editor and I was like what's the script editor and found out that this is this person that works with a writer and and gives notes to a writer and creates you know, that works on the on the creative side um, before it goes to production. And I asked the script editor for this piece of writing. She hadn't done it. She hadn't got one yet. And I thought, well, you know, I've just done a degree in English. Surely I can write one of those. I'll read the script and write synopsis. So I did. And I sort of stayed till really late at night and sent it to Roz, who was just who needed it that night. And she said, who wrote this? And I said, oh, actually, I did. And she said, you should be a script editor. And and literally, I'd never heard or known anything about it and then she decided to leave and actually go live move back to Scotland where she came from and she just went out of her way to introduce me to everybody in in the drama department at the BBC and she was so lovely and to get me the next job and then I was told you couldn't even be a reader which was actually a pay cut from being a secretary so not <laughs> I was doing really well on my career forward one step back one step but I I couldn't even get that job without having done some reading elsewhere. So then she introduced me to someone in the, an independent production company. I did some script reading for them. I then got a job as a script reader at the BBC. And then another amazing sort of uh, woman who's become a great friend in my life. She gave me a, a script editing job. She needed a script editor. And, and, and then it went from there. 
so I had no idea. I literally was the, the, the person that hadn't got a clue what I was going to do with with my life. And then as soon as I found this role of script editing and working with writers, I, it was like I was, you know, just completely found my ideal world. Yeah. Thing. And, it, and, it, and it made so much sense because, it, you know, the acting actually had been tremendously useful because I didn't like the performing bit. But when I can I can read a script and I can imagine actors performing it. You know, and that for me is just the, the best part because, you know, I've got that that sort of that feeling, but I don't have to stand up and do it myself. And, uh, you know, the English obviously came into it as well. And not so much the music and the singing, but that but everything else, it's all seemed to tie together. So you don't always know what you want to do. And I, you know, yeah. I, I sometimes think that when I speak to people now, of you know, young people who are saying, oh, I just don't know what I want to do. And, you know, I think it does take some time. It does take some time to work out what really matters to you and what you feel. And maybe, you know, maybe it takes a lot of people longer even than it took me. I was quite lucky in some ways. That That's I really cool. That. Yeah. When you do get that question and, and you're and you're speaking to folks who are earlier in their career or even your own kids who might be thinking about their futures, what do you typically, yeah. what's usually your encouragement um, in, in that way? How do you usually sort of direct people to try to find what their thing is? Well, I think not to shut any doors, you know, not to so not to put yourself in a place like if I'd have gone straight to drama school, you know, I, I'm grateful to my father for saying, don't go straight to drama school, go to get a degree and have that as a general thing, you, you know, because it didn't shut any doors. Whereas if I'd gone straight to drama school, may I mean, maybe I'd have been in exactly the same place I am now, but maybe I wouldn't have been because maybe I'd have invested so much in the acting and the, I'd have tried to do that. I, I can tell you now I would not have been successful at it. So I'd be still... I'd be still sort of doing some terrible, um, you know, I don't know what I'd be doing. But anyway, I wouldn't I wouldn't be doing very well, I don't think. Or, yeah, so I think don't shut doors. Keep as many doors open for as long as possible and allow yourself to find the thing. Unless, you know, you are a vocational doctor and, you know, and, and then you have to shut some doors early on. You have to take the sciences. You have to focus on that. But if you if you aren't that sort of person, then I think keep as many doors open as you can. That's great words of wisdom. I love it. Did you make any mistakes sort of early on that um, opened the door for great growth opportunities that you look back on and you're really glad you made those mistakes and or you're maybe not so glad? Does anything come to mind? <laughs> it's not not so much mistakes, but I made I made lifestyle decisions or life decisions that, that set my career rather a bit like a game of snakes and ladders uh, you know, that that sent me right back down to the beginning again. And I did it sort of several times. One one was I got to produce. I was producing at the BBC. I'd just done a big sort of four ninety minute um, drama show for the B, for BBC One, and then my husband he wasn't loving what he was doing. He wanted to travel. We got an opportunity to travel in, um, well, to go to America, actually. He's half American. So that's why I said earlier, I did a bit of traveling around America. That, And so I, I, I left, I just left my job and we went off, but we'd only just got married. We'd, we'd only know each other for about a year anyway, two years anyway. So we went off and, and did that. And then when I came back, I was pregnant and, which is not ideal, uh, you know, in terms of it was ideal in lots of ways, <laughs> to be clear, but it wasn't, it wasn't ideal in, a, in, you know, walking into another job. And, and also it was one, I was still at a time in my career where, you know, I was 30, you walk out and, and 10 other people walk in to your job. And I, so I thought, oh my God, what have I done? And so I sort of had to start all over again. And, and I did working, you know, producing a writer's festival for radio drama, but then that introduced me to lots of different people who worked in radio and I script edited some of their shows. And then I was on, you know, my own sort of maternity leave because I didn't have a job, but 
in that time, I, I then produced a, a writer's festival and met lots of writers doing that. And then I got offered a script editing job. And by this time, I'd, I'd sort of stopped script editing. I'd done storylining. I'd done story producing. I'd done producing. But then I went back to script editing again. But, you know, I loved it because it was right back. The, the, the danger is if I'd have kept if I'd have kept going where I was, I'd probably just kept on going further and further up the sort of ladder and then getting further and further away from the bits I loved where this opportunity to go right back to the beginning and to start all over again and realize that what I really loved was working with writers and I never wanted to be far away from that again and then I you know I had another baby and it was sort of again I had a pause and and then I, somebody else came along and offered me a working with new writers scheme that the BBC did called the Writers Academy. Um, a producer, John York, who I'd worked with before on EastEnders, which is a big show here, and he he offered me that. So I did that, and that led into me going back to EastEnders, which is this big soap opera that we have four episodes a week show here. And I series produced that, and that was like the first time able to sort of step back into that world. But even then, I then had a panic attack. It was actually covering someone for four months, and... Um, they asked me to stay permanently and I was like, I can't, I just will never see my family. This is, this is insane. So I did, I made, so then again, I sort of stepped back again because I didn't feel ready at that point because my children were still three and five or something and it just didn't feel the right. Time. So I've, I've, I've made decisions along the way that, that have definitely, I suppose, sort of halted my career or made me rethink it again every time. But what has been useful about that is I've just, I, I don't know. I've just had the chance to really think what I I love about it, and not and not get too far away from that. Because I think you know a lot of people get quite sad when they when they've reached exec producer status, and suddenly they're not in the room with the writer anymore, and they're you know that's the bit they love. Not everybody. I mean, lots of people don't love it, but for me, that's the bit I love. That's so really it, cool. It worked in my favor, I think. In the in yeah. the end, you got to try a lot of different things, and then it just kept reinforcing that's what you love. That's really fascinating and amazing. Weirdly, I was doing the same thing again and again and again as well, you know, doing going back to what I loved and just and and sort of it wasn't like I was trying new jobs. I was always going back to working with writers and where one way or another. And it and just it just made me realize that's really what I loved. But and it was a useful lesson as well, because I I don't think I've ever been particularly interested in status. So I was never sort of going in and being like, oh, I used to be a producer. I could, you know. I didn't feel like that at all. I just, it, that, that wasn't what bothered me. I wanted to work and I wanted to keep, I suppose, around the time that I was having kids, I wanted to keep my hand in was what I was sort of trying to do and work and do work that interested me, but didn't consume me because I know that's, <laughs> I know you can't produce something without being consumed by it because that's just, you know, production hours are just not very friendly. So I just had to wait out that time a little bit until I felt able to get back into that again. Which I didn't really feel until I went to Killing Eve, really. Hmm. That's brilliant. Um, heard you mention a couple of times that there were some women early on in your career that were uh, sort of door openers because you did good work and then they were excited to sort of introduce you to folks in the industry. Did you set out uh, intentionally when you were first starting to find mentors and sort of learn from them? Or um, was that something that... Uh, they sort of naturally took on that role and you were very accepting of it or um, I'm fascinated by how some people are really aware that they need mentorship and they seek it out and then sometimes mentors just naturally mentor <laughs> everyone around them were you aware of, of, yeah, of I that? Wasn't, I wasn't aware I wasn't aware and I never I never sought out mentors at all and but but Roz definitely was that Roz my first 
my first boss and and then when I, I went and became a script reader in which I mean it's all changed at the BBC now it's not like this anymore but they used to be you were taken on in this sort of little room like it was a bit like a dog pound there'd be a little room of script readers and you had to get picked out of the script reading pile to go and be a script editor you know and if you weren't that was the end you know you had six months I think sitting there and if you didn't get picked in that time you were the you know you're essentially <laughs> oh my goodness wow um, and Kath Lannan uh, picked me. But I mean, we always laugh about that because that basically, I think, came from me noticing she'd had her hair cut and she had really long hair and no one ever noticed when she cut her hair. And she's like, my God, you noticed I had my hair cut. And then she said, come work with me on this project. So I'm not <laughs> But from that point on, she became an amazing, she's an amazing friend and, uh, and a mentor to whom I sort of asked lots of advice along the way. So, um, but no, I don't think I've ever sought, and I hope also, I hope I've been a friend back to her of course as well but um so I think it all has worked it all works both ways but um and people on the whole are you know are nice and supportive of each other in this industry and that's you know that's always been I've always I've always benefited from that and it's a sort of network and the people that you meet you know I've met so many people and and, and still in touch with them now and and I've always been, you know, when I've been out of work, those were the people I suppose I turned to when I, you know, I had taken time out, had children, and you suddenly think, what do I do now? You know, you email everybody, everybody that you worked with before, who you hope remembers you and remembers you're quite good at your job, and then that's how you get the next job again. What separates a mediocre story from a great one in, in your mind? Well, I think, I mean, despite the fact I love story, and, you know, story is, a, is, is what I have always done, um, and storylining is what I've always done, I think it's all about characters at the end of at the end of the day. And if you have, if you don't have strong enough or good enough or interesting enough characters, and you come up with all the story in the world, it's going to feel. It just feels like plot. It doesn't feel real. It feels hollow. It doesn't. You know, it doesn't. You don't want to get into it in the same way as if you have amazing characters. You probably need less story. But anyway, even if you have however much story you put on them, it's just so much more satisfying. I mean, something like Succession that has amazing characters but also an incredibly twisty turny uh plot you know that's got it that's that's the ideal i think but i don't think i don't think you can have a great story without great characters at the at the heart of i'd love to hear a little bit about your ideal process in that um and and how you like to work and how you like to work with others and when it's time to sort of uh if it's ever time to be alone or if you always like to be sort of uh doing it uh collaboratively anything like that would be interesting well, I mean, it, does, it depends. It so depends on the job and, and, and the writer you're working with, because, I mean, in the past on, on these sort of we have these big long running shows here, medical shows and EastEnders that I've mentioned that I've storylined on. And, and that would be very much more a case of you'd have a, a group of writers, like a writer's room for, for a day. And then it would just be down to you to write up the story. And that very much was just sitting in a room and looking through everything that people had come up with and um I mean you'd have a, you'd obviously you'd have writers that you could you could call in to help but that, that that became more of a sort of sitting there trying to work it out and write it out yourself scenario which was always quite scary mm -hmm. um I've done it also done it with uh with another writer I work with I that that he would write a storyline and then he'd send it to me and I'd tweak it and then send it back to him and he'd tweak it send it back that was another way of doing it. Um, 
with with feet we sit together and you know it's very much the post-it approach and it's very much her getting out what's in her head because you know these are you know obviously very authored pieces so her getting it out what's in her head and 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 me writing it down and sticking it up around the wall and 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 we spend a quite a long time doing that before we even get to anything and I, I wouldn't really you know be writing up the storyline so much for for that it would be much more of a collaborative just sitting there discussing it really um and then because she often goes away and writes just you know on the basis of that rather than writing to a storyline that's not that way she does it so it is different with uh, and I, this is and i have to say so my ideal is how how was working with phoebe which i absolutely love which is just you know just just doing whatever she needs really and being you know just working brainstorming with her and and writing things on post-it notes and writing things on whiteboards and um getting terribly excited <laughs> when things when things make sense and then terribly depressed if it looks like it <laughs> um so yeah so that's that's but yeah, it has an awful lot of post-its and an awful lot and then i love looking at the post-its at the end too and trying to work out what some of them mean that never made it it's like what what was that <laughs> Uh, one thing that that personally, um, as I have just dabbled in story here and there and on a couple of very small projects, I, <clears throat> when working with other grownups, <laughs> I often find that there's this reticence to play and explore um, when it comes to story. And, and it could just be that we don't write story day in and day out. And so it's not something that we're super comfortable with. Do you find that it's always really important to set almost a, not necessarily a playful tone, but like you were saying um, earlier, it's nice to to work with people who you can have a good laugh with. And there's this level of comfort and, and vulnerability where you can sort of blow the storyline up and try something different. Do you find that there's always a, a certain um, ideal vibe, I guess, in the room when you are trying to uh, break through those barriers. Yeah, and it is it is a really vulnerable thing. And again, I mean, I have done like big writers' rooms with with um, you know people in them, but I do I do prefer just you know just working with one writer or just working with Phoebe now because. Uh, I, something that I've seen she is brilliant at and it does depend on the on the writer but she is very brilliant at allowing you to say anything and I've always felt able to say anything and I've shared you know the deepest darkest because it's amazing what can come out of stuff like that that ends up up you know sort of even if it's just like a mad ramble down a rabbit hole you go down of something that happened in your past that something might come out of it but it is definitely you, you need to trust the people that you're you're having those conversations with and sometimes in a big writer's room it's harder to have I find it harder to do that um and, and you definitely want to have and also it's about somebody really controlling a, a big writer's room too you need to know that someone completely in charge and someone uh is, is making it a really sort of safe place for everyone to say what they want to say and that it is fun and that that you know everyone's going to laugh at what you say and it's I, I've never been I don't think I've ever been in one that hasn't been like that but I imagine there's always that feeling when you start you think oh my god what are all the if you don't know the writers like what are, what's it going to be like and, and everyone's a bit quiet to begin with and then someone you know breaks the ice by saying something outrageous and then it's um but again I think it's easier if you're doing a comedy because somehow there is that you know you're looking for funny stuff uh from the beginning whereas um so it does you know it can obviously get quite quite deep and dark if you're not doing that that's that's a good point um how do you know a story is working like when how do you know that oh this is it like what do you always look for god that's really it's i mean it's a great question but it's a really hard question to answer because uh, i mean a lot of it i think is 
instinct and then even if the instinct is all good when when you're talking about the story lining that's not to say the writer won't then start to write it and go actually this doesn't feel right I, I feel that I want to go off in a different direction and then that's you know obviously that's that their prerogative and then you sort of rework it around that but it's uh, or sometimes you you know you do realize that you're I don't know. A lot of times, you you have a if you've got a niggle or a question, you know, you'll always have something in the back of your mind that just goes, mm, "I'm not sure, just not sure about this." And if someone else totally believes in it, you you obviously you just you want to see it all the way out. And then quite you know either you will be persuaded that that was actually a brilliant idea, or you might um, you, you might realise that actually you've got you just had to explore it and then realise it didn't work. But there's a, got to try it. Put it that way. You've got to try it until the bitter end. And it's just occasionally when you get to the end, you're like, oh, I knew from the beginning and you knew down a little, a little worry that was never going to work, but you had to give it a go. What does your perfect creative day look like if you could craft it from beginning to end? Well, I think we know it would start with hot chocolate. So uh, <laughs> I just have a couple of strong cu cups of tea, hot chocolate somewhere before 11, not after. Um, it would be... Uh, working with Phoebe going into it with an idea that we knew what we were doing and then going in and just exploring it for an entire day and it would uh have probably end up with drinking a lot of gin and tonic at three in the morning <laughs> those days do tend to go on that long certainly certainly if we're close to a deadline there's been there's been many many a day that's sort of gone on for for, for more hours than I can actually manage to get home before starting the next day put it that way incredible <laughs> but yeah nice to that feeling that you know what you're going in to do and if you've left in a good place the day before that's that's the ideal <laughs> then you're you know what you know you know what you're aiming for yes yeah I love it. um what do you think is the biggest misconception about what you do well I think I think I have weirdly chiseled out a job for myself that I'm not sure is very easy to explain to a lot of people so I think I think there's quite a few uh, misconceptions about what I do um because I'm not sure even I know what I do <laughs> but you know I don't think for example my don't think my job really exists in America in 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 the same quite the same way so I uh I think I'm what I am is the in between bet with the writer and the and the production but then I I love being on the production as well so I'm sort of it doesn't matter what my job title is I seem to do the same job I think that's actually what I've now worked out because what I always want to do is be with the writer through the storylining and the script writing but also be on set because I love that bit too and be the be the person that people come to when things are going wrong because I love that bit too and yeah so it doesn't matter what my job title is but th that's the job I do <laughs> and I found a way of just it now I found a way of just making I'm making sure I do that on every job um but it's but it's hard because you know I've been called a story producer and run I was an exec producer I'm but I've so I've got had different titles and different jobs but I seem to always end up doing the same thing that's cool you know what you want that, that's that's half the battle right there that's so cool oh yeah i just think i love that i do love that writing with a uh, working with the writer from the very beginning and i never want to get to a point where i'm not in the room doing that bit because that that is 
that's where it all starts. And, and you know, whatever else you do on a production, it does always come down to the script. I, you can't make a bad script good. I do really believe that. You can make a good script bad. <laughs> <laughs> it does work the other way around. I love it. One thing I really appreciate about, especially some of the, the recent um, shows, I guess, that I'm probably more familiar with that you've worked um, on and been a part of, is cutting hardcore drama with really delicious, amazing comedy. And the the pairing of the two is just amazing. For instance, I mean, in Killing Eve, which is a show that I think probably more people are familiar with, um, yeah. there's always this really unexpected comedy that sort of cuts in it <laughs> and makes you laugh and takes you in places you didn't expect and builds the characters so incredibly, even from the first few minutes. Um, why do you think the two are such a powerful combination? I, th- I think it, you know, it. You can get away with a lot more with comedy as well. I mean, you can make them feel, you make them feel quite safe that they know what they're doing, that they're, you know, they're laughing about something, and then you hit them with something really dramatic, and it hits them much harder, you know, and then makes some people feel quite uncomfortable, uh, which is always interesting as an audience. But I also think with Killing Eve and and well, with everything Phoebe does, there's there's she writes really witty dialogue and a lot of a lot of times you read a, a drama in inverted commas and you know if people are in an office they're all talking like people in an office talk you know they're all talking about their job and they're all talking about you know what you know, which actually doesn't happen there's no office like in my life I've ever worked in where everyone is just talking about the complexities of their job you know they're talking about in their lunchbox or what they you know watched on tv last night or they're talking about their husband or wife or their you know it and, and it's that sort of general level of witty banter which happens in real life but actually doesn't always happen when you watch television versions and and that's what i think is also glorious about killing eve was you know like people like carolyn and and, and eve well all the characters that, but they had this amazing witty dialogue that you just you you want to hang out with those people you want to have so from the very first line any of those characters spoke you knew who they were you knew who eve was you knew who carolyn was you knew who villanelle was which is you know a complicated person to tell quickly as well but you know they all had very uh, frank you knew who frank was they all had very distinctive characters just never seen anything quite like like it and it's it's i can't get over it it's incredible yeah, it was. It was. I mean, I remember very distinctly reading. I came on to it. You know, the first script obviously was already very much in existence. I just started reading it and going, oh wow, 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 wow! I want to this. Yes, that's amazing. Um, do you? Here, here's something I've been thinking about a lot lately. Um, it's something that I know I struggle with, and and I think a lot of creatives do. Do you ever feel guilty when you're not creating something or or working towards creating something? And how do you how do you deal with that if you do um, have that? I, I don't ever feel guilty about it, but I do think I get um, I get a bit uh, antsy. I get a bit sort of uh, stressed if I'm not working on something. I just uh, I like to be busy and I like to be working on something and I love being in production and I love having a deadline. And it's always harder when you're in development because to keep that sort of edge because you don't have the deadlines to work to. So I don't feel guilty about it, but I I like to. I'm always looking to be on the next thing that we're actually making rather than just talking about. <laughs> um, and my final question, and then, and then it's, it's almost a wrap. That's crazy. This has been such a lovely, a lovely time connecting with you would be if you were chatting with um, 
people who maybe they're finishing up, you know, uh, university and they're getting ready to head into some sort of creative career and or they've they're already well into their career, but they just cannot get rid of this feeling that they're doing the wrong thing. (laughs) What kind of Mm -hmm. advice would you share with people who are sort of uh, uh, looking to find what they love and and hone their craft? Well, I mean, I think I mean, it comes back to the well, it's it's a tree on over here, I would say obviously watch as much TV, watch the things that you work out what you really care about, work out the writers that you really love, the directors that you really love, all the creatives, look at all the different jobs, you know, just go onto IMDB and look at all the different jobs you can do on, um, on any of these shows and which, what, what is it that stuck out for you and why and, and try and try to get to know those people and get to talk to those people. And I, you know, I always, I always say that the best thing you can do is go and talk to the people that make the shows you care about because everyone loves hearing that you know you like their show <laughs> that's never gonna that's yeah. never gonna put people off you and you've got to just go out there and and ask for the things you want and I think that is one thing I I did do a lot of certainly in my early career when I was moving from show to show at the BBC I remember very distinctly um a girl saying to me with quite a lot of edge uh, what do you do do you just like walk up and ask for the next job you want and I remember thinking yes that is exactly what I've done (laughs) why wouldn't you if you think you're capable of it why wouldn't you knock on the door and say you know are you crewing up this the next season of your show and if you are I'd like to come on board as a whatever you want to come on board as as long as you know you're capable of doing that job obviously I'm not suggesting um until you make it (laughs) exactly so I've done a lot of that I think I've been quite proactive and 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 again you know even with the the killing Eve thing I you know I went out of my way to to talk to Sally at at Sid Gentle because I'd I'd met her years before and I'd been impressed by her so I wanted to meet her again Mm. I didn't know there was a job there it was it was an opportune moment that I turned up but uh, you know, I did go out of my way to, to sort of go and meet her and chat to her and talk about the, you know, at the time I'd seen Fleabag Series 1 and loved it. So I talked at length about why I loved it and why I love Phoebe's writing. And I do think, I think getting as much passion for what you do, as much experience as you can, obviously, as well. Um, and then, but then really knowing uh, really knowing your stuff in in terms of researching who is making what and what you want to work on and, and just setting yourself a goal to get there even if it means starting at a low level on the on the show and, and and never going in with a high status going in you know prepared to learn everything and if you're good enough you will you know you'll gain the status from from being good at your job rather than going in assuming that you ought to be taken on as something bigger than they might want to take you on that is good practical advice and i love it <laughs> jenny this has been so wonderful for folks who are super excited about what you're up to and want to kind of follow along on your journey where do you prefer they follow you twitter any, uh, somewhere else oh, t- uh, twitter is fine yeah i'm uh, uh at jenny a book i think <laughs> <laughs> beautiful and we'll link to it in the description too so people can just click on that thing and hit hit follow you Brilliant. are my hero thank you so much for stopping by the show this has been so fantastic oh thank you i've absolutely loved it it's been great talking thank you